I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about promises, and especially prophetic promises this morning. Uh, there was a, it's called the Jesus Film Project, and uh, uh, a man named Peter Stoner, the chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College. This is a fascinating, fascinating mathematic. How many of you are into math? A couple of you. That's cool. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, I was pretty good at math as long as I had a really good teacher in high school. But I, I you know, I was just like, man, Lord, help me with this stuff. But anyway, he, uh, he was uh, uh, just passionate about these biblical prophecies. So 600 students um, from this InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, they looked at eight prophecies concerning Jesus. They looked at eight of them. And they come up with these uh, extremely conservative probabilities that in Jesus, now there's like more than 60 prophecies considering Jesus. They just took eight. And they said, what would be the probability of these eight prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus? What would be the chances of this happening? So the conclusion was the prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. Now that just goes way over my head. That's like billions and billions and billions, quadrillions, right? So what they did was they tried to put that in layman's term, science speak, and, and, and he writes this, Let, let's try to visualize this chance if you mark one of ten tickets, the place of all the tickets in the hat, thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Okay? Suppose we take ten to the seventeenth power in silver dollars and lay them across the face of the state of Texas. They would be two feet deep in silver dollars. You would take a blind man, and you would tell him he can go anywhere he wants, dig down as far he wants, he only gets to pick one coin. That would be, and he does it, that would be what it would take to fulfill eight out of the 60 prophecies concerning Jesus. Is that crazy or what? So when we, when we think about this, I want to look at a couple of prophecies this morning and unpack them. I'm going to be preaching from Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, as we move into this new year, one of the things that we're going to do is really try to encourage people, bring your Bibles, journal, take notes. You know, part of what we're trying to do is equip the body. we actually got some really cool stuff coming. I'm so excited about the first of the year. We're going to do uh, 21 days of prayer uh, and, and ask people to be fasting, and we're going to explain it. It's going to be really good. Some people are like, I can't fast for 21 days. We're not going to ask you to fast for 21 days unless you really want to. But anybody can fast something, right? I mean, you can fast a meal. You can fast a day. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm excited about what we have uh, moving forward. But in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for, for to us, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace now this morning i loaded up my water with this like lemon stuff just to try to help and boy i overdid it oh at the mean mugging face coming on 
can I can I get the uh, can I get the um, the the overhead uh, up there on? So first of all, <clears throat> I think it's interesting when a baby enters the room, the attentions shift. Have y'all noticed that? It's kind of like you can have this thing going, and then somebody comes with a baby. It's like all the attention goes to the baby. I've got this. I've got so many favorite little babies in our church. It's really cool. But I got this one little baby, and um, her name is Hazel. And it's pretty cool. I, I love that. Like old school name coming back, new school. That's just really cool. And it's really funny because the first time that I met her, her parents brought her to church. She just kind of looked at me, and she just leaned into me, and boom, she just like jumped out of her dad's arms. And every time I see her, she does that. It's really cool, you know, and I'm thinking, I was actually thinking about Hazel. I want to, I want to prophesy over Hazel one of these days, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping at some point in time, you know, I mean, I was doing the math. I'm thinking, I hope I'm still around when Hazel gets married, because I would love to pray over her or maybe do the, the service or whatever, you know. Anyway, but it strikes me that when God wrapped himself in flesh and came as a baby, all of the attention was on him. You know, think about this, and it's important to know that your life will be changed and never the same if your attention, your heart, your thoughts are stayed on Him. You know, not, not, not just in this season or not just the first time that you gave your life to the Lord, but basically making sure that all of your attention is on Him. And it's also important, you know, think about this, the Christ child drew the attention of all of heaven, the angels, the shepherds, wise men, the prophets, and even Herod the Great who tried to kill him. Isn't that amazing that that baby drew that kind of attention because that was, that was so important. In Matthew 2.16, speaking to Herod, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So Herod's murder was real, but he also represented a promise killer. Think about that. The spirit of that promise killer is still active today. Jesus is the only way, the truth, the life, and the way, but we're wrapped in a culture that couldn't kill him as a baby, and when they did kill him as a man, he didn't stay dead. And they realized that they had messed up. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that amazing? And so when I think about this, but, but because they couldn't kill him, that spirit still operates that's trying to distract the world, the culture, dil dilute, delay, and wrap the message of hope up so much that it's broken because they don't see the message. And, and what happens is we get so distracted during this season. Christmas becomes more about getting than giving. Businesses thrive or fail because of consumerism. Christmas becomes more about a tree than a manger. Our, our culture leans into happy holidays to be politically correct instead of Merry Christmas, right? I mean, don't we, don't we all encounter this? And we, are, we, we, we argue, even Christians, we argue over the ori origins of the holiday. 
whether they had pagan roots, instead of rejoicing that the event was tra- has transformed culture, and that celebrating uh, at this time when we celebrate the birth of Christ. We have fights over the trappings of Christmas, the origins of Christmas, and whether we should have a tree or not. So Christians fight over Santa Claus. You realize that? Like Satan Claus. I got a picture... I got a picture of my, this is my, um, my niece's uh, little son Briggs. This is his first trip to Santa Claus, and you can see he's terrified, right? He's terrified. But I just want to, can I just present this to you? Why are we threatened over Santa Claus? I, I want to give you some, I, you can take that down now. I, he's really cute, and he got, it, it got better later. But I want to give you some roots of St. Nicholas, okay? Because there's something that's kind of grafted in there. St. Nicholas served as the Bishop of Smyrna. His parents were serving the needs of the sick, uh, contracted disease, and died, leaving it all to him. He was the first of the saints known to be a philanthropist. His compassion for the poor, and in particular children, become legendary and was imitated especially around Christmas. He got to be known as Santa Claus because of the way of the Dutch people referring to him as Sinterklaas. And they brought that tradition with them when they founded New Amsterdam and later English-speaking settlers corrupted the name evolving into Santa Claus. He was one of the 318 bishops participating in the Council of Nicaea in AD 325 where the Bible was canonized. The story, there's a story of him intervening to save three men that were falsely condemned and to be executed by a corrupt magistrate. He walks up to the executioner and he grabs the sword with his bare hand to keep it from happening. He was known as a protector of the innocent. The inspiration of old Saint Nick led French nuns during the Middle Ages to start the tradition of bringing anonymous gifts under the cover of night to needy families, clothing, food, money, essentials. And when the poor tried to find out who their benefactor was, as they got the answer, it must have been St. Nicholas. He spent seven years tortured and imprisoned for his faith under the Diocletian persecution. So, here's the deal. We get caught up, we get distracted. I'm not threatened by Santa Claus. We don't focus on it. We focus on Jesus. I'm not threatened by this and that and whatever. I mean, I'm just like, this is a season that for centuries has been chosen to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's just make Jesus the reason. And so the enemy couldn't kill the promise, but he still wants to distract the world from the promise that was wrapped in flesh and came as a baby, the way the prophet spoke in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? I know that during this season, there's all kinds of emotions that can come if you've lost someone. Maybe it's your first Christmas without a, without a loved one. And so, so, so we walk into this with celebration, but we walk into it also with compassion and, and recognition. Um, I grew up 
And uh, it was kind of interesting because my birthday is actually Christmas Eve, right? So I was like eight years old before I actually thought I had a birthday because <laughs> it just kind of got wrapped in all the stuff. You know, I remember one year my mom, my mom basically decided to celebrate my birthday in July so it would be far enough away because for so many years I felt like, oh, I just get a, I get a present a little bit early, you know? Uh, actually... I'm hoping, I'm just saying, this is probably way too short a notice. But I want you all to know that Pastor Dave Miller's favorite pie is mincemeat pie. Would it be so cool to just bury him in mincemeat pie? <laughs> Without him even knowing, that's so cool. No, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. My favorite pie, now this is, this is pretty awesome. My favorite pie is mincemeat pie. And Dave's birthday and my birthday are on the same day. Is that pretty wild or what? You know what's even wilder than that? Is that the previous pastor, Stan Fleming, his favorite pie was mincemeat pie. And, and his, his, his birthday was the day after Christmas. It's like, it's anointed, y'all, I'm just saying. <laughs> Somebody that had never made a mincemeat pie this year made one just for me. I was so touched. It was really good too, Pastor Susie. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> how's my voice holding out? Good? <clears throat> I just love, it's okay to have fun at church, isn't it? I grew up in a church where you didn't have a lot of fun. It's like they had a pipe organ. They had robes. You had to be very solemn. Somebody raised their hand. You think, whoa, you are losing it, man. And I'm so glad. Okay, so Isaiah 7.14. The book of Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah. Therefore, the, law, the Lord, my voice is holding up. I think it's going to be good. I think so. But I got one more service to do. I, I, I got it. Praise God. You know, the second service, you know what I might do? How many of you ever heard like that old English singer, Joe Cocker? I think I could do a Joe Cocker thing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. You know, it's going to be awesome. I, love, I always wanted to sing like him. I can only do that when I have to lose my voice. Okay, Isaiah 7.14. Let's get back to the, to the Bible. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I thought it was so amazing this morning. Before our service, we do a, what we call a huddle. We get you know worship team and people that are ready to serve and we huddle them up in the, in the foyer and then we have somebody do just a really short little exhortation. And Hannah did an amazing job, except she was preaching my sermon. She was talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm going, I'm just going to give you my notes, girl. And you just come up here and just do it. I, I want to do that sometime. I just, just because I just think it would be a, a blast. Let's see how they do. Okay, let me get back to the word. It's here. Okay. I want to get back to, I want to get back to this Isaiah 7, 14. When we speak of a God who sees me, Emmanuel means God with us. I think that is so profound. And if we're not careful, we can just kind of gloss over it. 
This is the promise. God with us. And historically, people have always been on a search for God. There's a spiritual DNA because we've been created in the image of God that is always looking for something. So people may reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's something where they look for God in creation. They look for God in the stars. They look for God in graven idols. There's always something where they're, 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 they're looking because there's this relational void because we've been created to walk to fellowship with God that nothing else can fulfill. So we've looked at nature. We've looked at creation. We've looked at the stars. And ironically, God comes to us even though we've been searching. There are people that are searching and they don't even know what they're looking for. They're searching and they're thinking, well, if I could just get the trophy wife, if I could just get the bomb job, if I could just get the material stuff, if I could just get the promotion, and then every time you get something like that, yeah, there's a blessing possibly in it, but it's, it, it's not this long-lasting, it's not an eternal thing, it's not something that sustains you. Because sometimes it's just, a, it's just like, a, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you're waiting for, like, I'm terrible about this. Robbie's making a dinner and it's absolutely going to be epic because I can tell it smells like epic. But then I'll go like get a snack before there. I'll get a snack like 20 minutes before dinner. But it's not the same, you know. And so God knew, well think about this, it makes a difference when somebody's with you, right? I mean we're not created to walk alone. We're created to walk in community. We're created to walk in fellowship. I always, it's, it, it's interesting because um, my, my, my wife, it's like, I'll do stuff that has nothing to do with like stuff that she likes to do, but she just wants to come with me. She wants to be with me. And I know that when she goes and does stuff, and maybe I don't want to do that, but I'll just say, hey, you want me to go with you? It's like, yes, I do. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go shopping in a thrift store, but I'll come with you and I'll sit in the parking lot and I'll just do whatever I do. And she loves that because there's something about companionship. There's something about we're created for this. We're created to walk together. And God knew that our, need, our greatest need was His presence. Not merely presence. Presence. Not presence. Not gifts. And if I can be straight up with you, the biggest need that we have is the presence of God in our life. In the Old Testament... God had called on a man named Moses to deliver his people from 400 years of slavery. And in Exodus 33, we find, he says, and my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And now Moses is talking to God because God had just promised his presence, but he wants to make sure. He's like, did I hear that right? It said, your presence will go with you. But then he, he replies and he said, and, and he said to him, this is Moses speaking to God. If your presence shall not go with me, don't bring us any farther. Don't bring us up for here. I don't even want to continue on the journey because the main thing is not the promised land. The main thing is your presence with us. And he says, uh, for how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? How will we know that we're different? How will we know that we've been set apart? 
Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I am your people from every other people on the face of the earth. What sets you apart from every other people on the face of the earth is the indwelling presence of God. And you're the center of your attention and your focus, just like that baby came into the world, and all of heaven was was basically had their, their, their heart, their emotion, their eyes, their hopes all fixed on Him, we still need to have that positionally in our lives. And we get so distracted. If I just put a little bit of Jesus on every once in a while, I think I'll be okay, right? No, you won't be okay. Because you were never created to function like that. You were created for Him to be in the center and everything else flows. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. But we don't. We get really distracted. And I love this because we're created to be distinct and distinction is not how much money you have. Whether you have a successful business, whether you're short, whether you're tall, whether you're good looking, or not as good looking. It's a presence of God with us that makes us different. We were created to operate best with Emmanuel, God with us. So He created us. He loves us. Sin separated God from, from us. And the story of Christmas is a story of God closing the gap. God closed the gap. God came. And it's not because we did anything right. It's because of the grace of God. It's because He loves us so much. In Isaiah 9, 6, once again, I love this. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder. Man, wouldn't you love the government to be upon His shoulder? We found out what it looks like when the government's not on the shoulders of God. It's ugly, y'all. And yet we keep putting our hope in that. If I just get the right person in, yeah, cool. This is the right person. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And names are significant. They're not as significant in our culture as they were in biblical culture. Uh, for example, when you look at the kings in the Old Testament, Solomon, his name meant peace. You realize he was the only king that actually transitioned into the throne in a peaceful way. Okay, so our king is, first of all, wonderful. I love it. Pastor Stephen brought something up in our pre-service prayer. It's like, God, we need the joy, we need the peace, but could there be some wonder? I'm like, bro, you're preaching my message. This is so good. Just come in here, take it away. Yeah, he's ready, man. See, I love these young lions. Our king is full of wonder. Everywhere that Jesus went, people were amazed. In Matthew 7.28, they were amazed at his teaching. In Matthew 8.27, they were amazed that the wind and the waves obeyed him. Who is this that the very wind and waves obey him? In Matthew 15.31, they were amazed at his power to heal someone who was mute. 
In Matthew 21, uh, 20, they were amazed that a tree would obey him. So our king comes, and he's full of wondrous things. Demons obeyed, nature obeyed, disease and sickness were no match. How can we live in fear and not courage with a king like that? Because that's our king. That's my king. And the second name is counselor. Counselor, wonderful. Counselor. How does the wisdom of the world seem to y'all right now? Right? It's kind of, uh, it's pretty amazing. And how much the Bible actually talks, Pastor Joel and I were talking, how much the Bible actually talks about get wisdom. You need wisdom. Get wisdom. Doesn't say get riches, get this, get that. It says get wisdom, acquire wisdom. Wisdom cries out on the street. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and the Lord will, will, will give uh, liberally and without reproach. I mean, there's just wisdom. And we're looking at this, this. We need the counselor of the kingdom. Counsel that exceeds the expectations of man and goes beyond the ability of our understanding. That's the kind of wisdom, and I don't need the earthly wisdom. I need the wisdom that comes from above. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of the man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And a lot of times people stop right there. But then there's this word, but... Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man the things of God has purpose. But then it says, God has revealed them to us for those who love him. Like, oh man, that is so absolutely cool because now I've got a pipeline. I've got, I've got a download. How many of you like downloads? Right? Come on, I got me a download. I got, I, I, I got something, I've, I've got a revelation that was not this way, it was this way. For the Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yet the deep things of God, and isn't it so cool that basically when your relationship with God is at a place where you realize, hey, he's going to, it says this, it says that the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek it out. Like, man, I'm telling you what, the closer that I get in a relationship with God, the more that He actually whispers and shows me things. It's so cool. It's really cool because think about this relationally. If you're not in a covenant, trusting relation with somebody, there's just stuff you don't talk about, right? But if you're in this covenant, trusting relationship with Him, there's things that He will actually speak to you through His Word, through, through the sense of His Holy Spirit, through circumstances. I mean, uh, Dallas Willard calls them the three different lights. God wants to speak to you. It says in the end of that passage, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Isn't it really crazy that Scripture says that you have the mind of Christ? How many of you realize in your own bad brain sometimes there's stuff that just like, ugh, why do I think like this? Right? Do you think that in, in, in God's mind, in God's thoughts, that there's anxiety? 
that there's fear, that there's uncertainty, that there's doubt. Mm -mm. I need to have the mind of Christ. I need to have, and he's a wonderful counselor, and I have access. Or how about mighty God? Speaks again of wonder, speaks again of power, speaks again of confidence, speaks again of courage, or everlasting Father. It speaks of eternity. Can I just tell you this? God's not going away. God's not going away. And then Prince of Peace. Never have we needed him more. Man's struggle to find peace starts and ends with Jesus. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. See, we find, we find that we try to find peace in what we do and what we own. We hope the right political candidate can bring peace. Jesus is the only way to peace because he's the Prince of Peace. And I love this in, in Isaiah 9-7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is like thousands of years in the past. And the, the prophet is declaring of the increase, of the increase of his government. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That means that actually the kingdom of God is increasing. The peace of God is increasing. I'm like, wow. Listen, prophetic promises... If eight of those, just eight of those prophecies concerning Jesus, we know were fulfilled, then we look at the prophetic promise of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That means there's an increase. The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is increasing. The, 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 the report and the news and the streams might tell you otherwise, but listen, there's something here where I'm going to believe the promises of God and not the report of the world. There's an increase that's happening. It says, there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And then I love this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's not me performing it. It's not us performing it. Actually, in another translation, the New Living Translation, it says the zeal of the armies of God will, will perform this. <clears throat> Daniel 2.44, and I'll have our worship team come up. I feel my voice fading. Daniel 2.44, it says, And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, it shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. So verse 7 speaks of the declaration of God to people in great darkness, in great turmoil, and great despair. And this declaration is that the increase of his government and peace will not end. It's moving forward despite the negative difficult things that seem to surround it. So you and I, we were created to hear from God, to walk with God, and to not lose sight of God. And the God who sees me comes to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. I loved what Hannah was saying this morning. It was like, that's exactly the message. Whatever you're walking through, God's with you. Whatever task, wherever you serve, wherever you work, whatever difficulty, whatever challenge, whatever tribulation, whatever 
health challenge you have, God is with you. He's not abandoned you. He won't abandon you. He's, he, he's with you because that's the promise that we see. The God who sees me comes to be with me. The God who sees us comes to be with us. Originally wrapped in human flesh, now unwrapped in glory and full of promise. The promise of God was wrapped and delivered in a humble way. The attention of heaven and the attention of earth was on Him. And we need to make sure that our hearts and our attention are always turned to Him. We receive and give gifts in celebration of this greatest gift that was given to us. I mean, we should be doing this all the time. But praise God, there's a season where we really focus on it. This gift brings righteousness. Think about this. Think about a tree and you're, you're opening the gift and it's like, oh, there's the boots I wanted or there's the socks I wanted or there's the, the underwear I always get from mom. But you open this up, and it's like, there's the peace I want. There's the joy that's been elusive. There's the healing I wanted. There's the healing that I needed. There's that happiness that seems to be so elusive. There's the companionship that I've tried to find in other people, and I've never found what I need, but now I need it because I've opened this present. I've unwrapped this thing. Here's a cool thing. You didn't unwrap it. Jesus unwrapped it. Came, wrapped in flesh, as a presentation to the world. This gift brings righteousness, peace, and joy. This gift brings eternal life. This gift brings change. This gift brings healing. This gift brings deliverance. If you're here today and, and there's just something that just seems to kind of keep dragging you back into the old stuff, there's deliverance today in Jesus because that's part of the gift. This gift transforms our thinking and heals us. This gift sets us on a right course. Without God in our lives, not only are there eternal repercussions, but honestly, things just don't work right. They just don't work right. And, and, and you know, just as I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, trying to, trying to sense what the Holy Spirit is saying, I, I believe that this could be a, a day right today. This could be a moment right now where there's some people that'll say, I need some realignment. I need some realignment in my life. Because I've realized I haven't kept my attention on the gift of Jesus that God gave me and I need to realign some things and I'm telling you what God God is willing to do that because he's drawing you into that place so as we celebrate Christmas this season is it time if you're here this morning and you would say okay pastor I could use some realignment in my life. I want you just to respond. Just, just raise your hand. I, I, listen, can I confess? I always need realignment in my life. There's always the impulse and direction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God like, ah, I'm getting a little off track here. I need to really kind of refocus. Come on, so I'm, my hand's up. How about you? Realignment in the name of Jesus. Recenter us, refocus 
Father God, help us to come back to that place where you are first and foremost and we recognize you. Not only were you the greatest gift, but our greatest need is the presence of God. Our greatest need is the Spirit of God within us and moving and, and, and walking with us. God, help us to chase after you and not after the things of the earth and the world. And maybe you're here this morning. I want to ask you a question. Is it time for you to unwrap this gift that God presented in human flesh and then unwrapped in glory? And His name is Jesus. If you're here this morning, I would encourage you. Sometimes we can know about God, but we don't know God. Sometimes we've heard about God, but we don't know God. Sometimes maybe we've been we've grown up in church, we've been around, but we just don't know Him. We, we haven't opened a heart and said, Lord, I need to put my full attention, my heart, and I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy strength, everything that's within me. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning if you're here and you don't know Him. This is amazing. This might be the most wonderful thing that you ever do in your life, and that's to accept Him as Lord and Savior. I love the picture in Revelation. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man would hear and open the door, I will come in. And the picture is the, the door of your heart, and the handle's only on the inside. Only you can open it. I can't open it for you. And Jesus is not going to force Himself in. He's basically saying, Hey, I'm calling you. I'm loving you. I'm gracing you. There's something that's missing in your life. And if that's you this morning, and you're saying, Today, Pastor, I want to open the door of my heart and accept this Jesus, I want you to just boldly raise your hand. Come on, this is going to be the easiest place for you to profess your faith. If that's you this morning, say, I want to give my heart to this Jesus today. Would you just raise your hand? Let me agree with you. Let us celebrate with you. 